So let's read Acts chapter 10. It's just an incredible story. Um, in the chapter, it opens up with uh, Cornelius calls for Peter. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Imagine these words being recorded about you for all time, that you were devout and God-fearing and gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Imagine that being said about you for all of time and for people thousands of years later to read and, and discover. Incredible, isn't it? One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. What an incredible thing, isn't it? God sees everything that we do. And that's, I find that in, uh, just a scary thing and an encouraging thing at the same time. God sees everything. The Bible says that he who lends to the poor lends to the Lord. Maybe that's something to do with what we're talking about here. The angel goes on to say, verse 5, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, uh, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approached the city, Peter went, on, uh, went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. You need to use your imaginations here to really get what's been said. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. <clears throat> the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken up into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so go up, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along 
And the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting uh, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter, Peter made him get up. This is what you see in the picture on the screen. Peter made him get up. He said, stand up. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shiny clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Are you glad about that? I'm glad about that because here am I, a Gentile, saved by the grace of God, 2,000 or so years later, and in relationship with God because God had a plan to take the Christian gospel beyond the walls of Judaism. It's just incredible. It goes on to say, you know, uh, oh, sorry, I lost my place there. Too busy talking. Verse 35, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is, our, uh, is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Praise God. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speak in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Just incredible, uh, this passage from the Bible as we read it. 
And as we contemplate what was going on here, just to see the way that God leads in this whole situation. And I, I just felt we need to remind ourselves at the start today of why we're even reading this story to begin with. The whole point of reading through Acts, the whole point of the book that we're using for prayer is about building church, building church. It's God's church, it's His church, but He has involved us in building it. God believes in the local church, that's why it exists. God's heart is always to reach out to those who have not heard the good news. And the local church is the way that God has chosen to reveal Himself to a broken world, which is why we talk about being Christ-centered and community-focused. It's one thing to be Christ-centered and living in our own little spiritual bubble. It's another thing to be Christ-centered and also at the same time community-focused. You see, it wasn't just a message for the Jews. It's, jo- it's not just a message for people who are intelligent or who are rich or who are handsome or any of these types of things that the people in our society celebrate. This message is for everyone. This is why we go on about being Christ-centered and community-focused. It's why we talk about being Jesus' hands and feet in this world. God has chosen to act through the church, through you and I. And we've read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that and the gifts of the Spirit, all of these things are for the building up of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within us, but the Holy Spirit is exhibited for the common good. It's not just for us, it's for other people, the other people in the church. So, for example, when there's a message in tongues like there was this morning, and an interpretation, and then another word that came after that. These are all that we might be built up. And can I encourage you that when a message is given, an interpretation, or a prophecy, or a word of knowledge, whatever it is, if something is shared in the congregation or from the platform, if that has been for you, then come and speak to the person who shared and encourage them. It's good to get that feedback. These gifts are to build us up 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Read about the gifts. Study the gifts. Ask God for the gifts. If there are areas of gifting that you're not used in yet and you want to be, the Bible says we have to earnestly desire that. Are we earnestly desiring spiritual gifts? Some of the most powerful moments of my life have been when somebody has exercised a spiritual gift and God has spoken to me directly through the prophetic, through words of knowledge, all of these types of things. It's powerful. It's life-changing. Desire spiritual gifts. Why? Not that we can look great, but so that the body of Christ is built up. I'm not going to get to my message today if I keep going on like this. Jesus has also gifted people to the church in order to prepare God's people for works of service. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 talks about apostles, 
prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And if the pastors think they're the bee's knees, let me ask you, how many times does the, the Bible talk about pastors? Does anybody know? Mary, what's the answer? Once. The Bible only ever once mentions pastors, and it's in this passage, that word in particular anyway. So, and, so, sorry? And there's no named pastors in the Bible. Well done. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why has Jesus given these people to the church? It says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So that the body of Christ might be built up. So the reason that we talk about all this stuff is that the church needs to be built up. If you are content that there are empty seats on the front, then you're not getting the message. I am not content that there are empty seats in the front, empty seats over there, some space in the middle here, there's another row here, of spaces for people who need to hear the gospel. Are we praying for people? Because the Bible tells us that the enemy has blinded the minds of people who don't believe. We need to pray for those people that God opens up their eyes, that they may realize who Jesus is, that Jesus has died for our sins, that we are, in fact, sinners to start with. I remember hearing somebody say a long, long time ago, you know, the Bible talks about how in the latter days people will call evil good and good evil. Well, it was in about the time where, you know, that phrase was going about where everything was wicked. Remember that? Wicked. You know, we need Barry Woodward here to say it in his Manchester accent. Eeny. But everybody was saying wicked, and somebody, I heard somebody say, oh, that's a fulfillment of Scripture. And I'm like, no, it's just the way we're using language just now. <laughs> what it means is that there are things which go against God's Word that people now accept as normal practice. That's what it means. There are things which can creep into the church and be acceptable in church life which are not acceptable. They're contrary to what the Bible says. And we need to be careful about these things. And we need to be careful about what is taught in the church as well. Because there are many people who want to deceive and bring discouragement, bring things that will tear down the church, divide the church, separate the church, and so on and so forth. All of this is that the church might be built up, that you might be built up, that I might be built up. The body of Christ, the church, the building made out of living stones should be a place of growth and encouragement. And we have to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We, you and I, we have a responsibility to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, to keep ourselves in the love of Christ and as we build and encourage others in the body and use gifts that God has given us. The problem is that this can be the exact opposite of what the church is like, which is why we need to consider this passage today. We've read it. We've read the story about Cornelius, how he has an angelic visitation. 
Peter at the same time is having this revelation from God. God is orchestrating the circumstances. You know, there's three men coming to Peter's door. Has anybody ever seen that, uh, that, that film, The Matrix? You know, where, where Neo picks up the phone and uh, he's getting all these instructions. He's like, how do these people know where I am and what, what I'm doing? You know, it's like you need to go out the, the door and turn left and all. It's like, or, or Eagle Eye or some of these types of films. Can you imagine this type of moment where, you know, there's going to be a knock at the door and there'll be three guys and you need to go with them. What a, has, it, has that ever happened to anybody in here? Just out of curiosity. It's happened to one person. There you go. Just evidence that God does mysterious things even in our day and age. The problem is sometimes we kind of rationalize the mysterious thing and we go, oh, it was just circumstances or it was just this or it was just that. And sometimes it's God coming and chapping on your door trying to get your attention and you're like, uh, mm, what's on the telly tonight? It's like God's trying to get our attention because there's a world that needs to hear the message and He will use all sorts of ways to get that message across. You see, Peter had a mission to accomplish. That reminds me of another film, which I'll not hum the tune for. It wasn't an impossible mission. It was mission possible, right? Should he choose to accept it or not? He did choose to accept it. He was obedient to the revelation that God gave him, and he went to the house of Cornelius, and they said, we're all here to hear what you've got to say to us. If that was me, I'd be like, oh no, did I bring my iPad with my sermon notes? What? Oh, I'm not prepared. What am I going to say? Not so with Peter. Peter just begins to, begins to share. And as he's sharing with these people, the very thing that he experienced, the Holy Spirit coming in a miraculous way and speaking in another unlearned language, the same thing happened to these people as he was speaking. He didn't even need to pray for them, lay hands on them. It just happened as he was speaking. Incredible. Do you know, we don't need to be scared about these things. I've been around Pentecostal churches a long time, and I know that we get uncomfortable with things sometimes, like speaking in tongues. Why? Why do we get uncomfortable, uncomfortable about it? Because it's here in the Bible, and it's practiced today, not by people who are possessed by devils, but people who are possessed by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be scared of these things. God has a plan and purpose to build up the church, not to tear it down. And gifts are part of the way that God does that. And we see in this passage a wonderful demonstration of the Spirit's power at work. And these people are filled with the Spirit. They are baptized and they become part of the church. And as I was thinking about this, I came to chapter 11. And chapter 11 just blows your mind away, the opening verses of this. All this wonderful stuff has happened, and then it goes on to say, chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. You would think that would be good news, wouldn't you? You'd be like, brilliant. It's gone 
further than we expected to. That's what Jesus was talking about when he talked about this word going uh, out through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus was talking about. Listen to verse 2. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. You naughty boy, Peter. What's he like? Imagine breaking Moses' law. That's a terrible thing to do. It was against their tradition and their religion. And he was criticized for it. Can you imagine Peter's response? But, 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 but God told me to do it. And you're like, I've heard that one before. God told me to do it. But God did tell him to do it. That's the point. God was the one who'd given the law, and God was now the person who's saying, you need to put that aside because don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And this is sometimes where we get wrapped up in the Bible and get ourselves tied up in knots. The brothers and the apostles criticized him. And as I read that, I remembered an experience I had last year where I met somebody that I hadn't seen for a long time. Somebody who's involved in full-time Christian work. And I saw this person from a distance. And as I looked at them, I just thought, that person looks wearied. They just looked so dejected and so down. Everything about them, it was not normal. And my heart went out to this person and I began to pray for him uh, without even having spoken to him. I thought, there's something wrong here. I need to pray for this guy. And in the course of that meeting, I got the opportunity to have a conversation with this person and to pray with this person and lay hands on them. And as he was sharing his heart, he said something that I will never, ever forget. He said, when it all goes right, it's God. And when it all goes wrong, it's you. Never forget those words. Coming from somebody who just looked broken. He said, when it all goes right, it's God. And when it all goes wrong, it's you. And my heart went out to this person and I pray for them still. And it made me think about the power that is in the things that we say. The Bible tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And it tells us that criticism can be such a destructive thing. Each of us, by our words, has the power to build up or to tear down. Rather than Peter coming back to the apostles, the other apostles and the brothers in Jerusalem, and there being celebration, which is what there should have been, rather than celebration, there was criticism. You know, you've heard that phrase, constructive criticism, haven't you? Has everybody heard that term, constructive criticism? And that's a good thing. Or is it? Listen to the definition of criticism. This is what the dictionary says. Criticism 
uh, is the expression of disapproval of someone or something on the basis of perceived faults or mistakes. I underlined the word perceived. I don't see anything positive in that. So, constructive does not fit with that definition. Sorry to say it doesn't fit. Disapproval, faults, and mistakes. We're told in the Bible to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love, and making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Humility occupies the lowest seat, not the highest seat. The problem with criticism sometimes is that we can put ourselves above the other person. We're not speaking across the room, we're speaking down to them, like I'm speaking down to Steve at the moment, which very rarely happens, by the way, okay? That's why I like it when you're sitting down and I'm standing up. You see, humility occupies the lowest place, not the highest place. And it made me think about what babies have in common with umpires. Do you know what it is? Tennis umpires. They sit in high chairs and shout juice. Yeah. Sit in high chairs and shout at other people. The ball was out, man. <laughs> For those who remember John McEnroe. Oh, he was always saying it was in though, wasn't he? Unless it was the other person. And we need to ask ourselves, does criticism actually achieve anything? Makes me think about the story of the wind and the sun and how they have this disagreement about who's going to make the man take his jacket off. Have you heard that one? No? For those who haven't heard it, here's a little picture. The wind says, I'm going to blow so hard that the man will take his jacket off. I'll blow the jacket right off his back. And the wind gives it gusto. Oh, that's... Aye. Blows and blows and blows. And then, what does the man do? He pulls his jacket around him. It's like, not take my jacket off here. And he tries and he tries and he tries. And the man, instead of taking the jacket off, just pulls it around him further. Then the son says, move aside. I'm going to have a shot. And the son comes out and he beats down on the man. Just as the, just yesterday was amazing, wasn't it? It was a lovely day. It was like spring has arrived. And the sun beats down on the man and he's feeling so hot that he takes his jacket off and the sun goes, see, not by force, but by that gentle persuasion. And I kind of think, yeah, there's a place where we need to receive things into our spirit in order to learn and to grow, but not through criticism, not through criticism. Let's have a wee look at, and I'm really running out of time already, uh, a little look at these passage, this, this, these few verses in Acts chapter 11. Bearing in mind all that has happened, we need to understand what's going on in these verses. Verse 1 says that the apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. They heard, implying that people were… Sorry? Oh, come on bit more response than that. People were talking. Oh my goodness. Unlike everyone in here, you're allowed to feedback. It's okay. The speakers are not allowed to feedback well. The first thing that stands out to me in this verse one is that people were talking. There's an implication that it wasn't positive, and it seems to me, uh, but I could be wrong, that people are not really 
very good at dealing with differences. And rather than speak with people, we speak about people. And let's be really blunt here. Sometimes it's easier to speak about people in our own clique, in our own little club, our sub-club within the church. Nothing to do with the sandwiches, by the way, Jackie. Our little club of people that we know and understand and agree with, perhaps because our personalities are alike. And it's very easy to get into that little group and begin to discuss things. But let me say that it's not conducive to building church. Not conducive to building church. I was speaking to somebody recently uh, who's not from the UK, um, although they stay in the UK now. And they made this point, which I found really intriguing, that British people can tend to be, not everybody, but can tend to be passive-aggressive. Have you heard that phrase, passive-aggressive? And this, this is one definition of it. A deliberate and masked way of expressing covert feelings of anger. Did you get that? I'll say it again then, Barbara. A deliberate, deliberate, so we're doing it intentionally, but masked way of expressing covert feelings or anger. Things that are inside and we want to keep them hidden, but we still want to let the other people know, by the way, you are bugging my happiness. And we'll find a way to say it that goes underneath the radar. That's what passive-aggressive is. Have you got it? Okay. I just thought it was a light bulb coming on. But. And it's when we speak about things without actually saying what we need to say, using indirect communication, negative body language, silence. Who all likes getting the silent treatment? Nobody. Nobody. Uh, Tom likes getting it. I can understand why, Barbara. Okay. I can understand why. It's like, yeah, beauty. Thank you, Lord. She's got laryngitis, you beauty. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. It's when we say things without actually saying them. And we are so, we're so attuned to people's body language. We are so attuned to it. We pick up things, even if it's subconsciously, we pick things up. You know, I remember somebody using these kind of tactics in me many years ago. Uh, I've been in the church on staff for about 13 or so years. Before that, I worked for a Christian youth organization called Crusaders. I was there five years. And I remember being so excited about this new opportunity that God had opened up to me. I can take you back and I can show you all the ways that God spoke and led me into that, and I was so excited. And somebody, somebody talked about, oh, that's nice to hear about your little job. And there was something about the way they said it that allowed me to get the message, you're not important, and your job's not important, but I am. That is exactly what I'm talking about here. And does that build 
Church, let me ask the question, does it build, would that build you if somebody said that to you? Didn't build me. I just went away thinking, what's his problem? I'm just trying to get on my life here and follow the call of God in my life. What is the issue with my little job? It wasn't a little job. It was part of how God was leading at that point in time. And here's the problem with stuff like this. The problem with the negative stuff is that it sticks. It sticks. Do you know, I remember when I was young, we were allowed to go down the street in primary school, just wee totes. We were down the street, and uh, I can't remember what we'd been doing down the street, but on the way back to school, by the way, if you were late, you got the belt in my school. So if you were late, you got the belt. Now, I remember on the way back to school, I stood in something that you don't want to stand in. You know that moment when your foot slides when you're walking and you're like, you're like, oh no. And rather than just say to my pals, oh, just you guys go and I've stood in something I need to clean. Rather than do that, I said to my pals, uh, by the way, um, I've got a meeting with a spy in five minutes and I just need to kind of hang back here. And... Uh, We've got a wee exchange to do, a wee dead drop, you know. That was before I'd watched Mission Impossible. And they're like, oh, that's amazing, that's brilliant, you know. We'll, we'll just go and we'll let you get on. And, and here am I trying to clean this stuff off my shoe. You're like, oh, still not clean. You know, it's like you can never get it off. It's like it just sticks to you. And I think criticism is just the same. It sticks to you and you're like, it stinks. And I can't even get it off. Oh, man. Criticism sticks to us, and it's difficult to shake it off. You know, sometimes we can be carrying stuff around with us for years and years and years. And the problem is, as we talked about last week, that it can become a disability that defines us, that directs us, and that demoralizes us. The things that people have said that stick in our hearts. And I think, is that building up church? It's not building up church. And I, I want to, to think about, I've not even touched half of the stuff that I was going to say today. I'm on page four. I've got another four pages to go, and the clock's went. Think about how to deal with criticism. There's a few notes in the little handout uh, that I gave out. But let me say one thing that's really important about criticism. Let's live our lives in a way that avoids us being criticized. Let's try to live our lives in a way that's transparent. Let's remember that if we are going to try and criticize anybody, by the way, if we're not doing it out of a place of love and deep relationship, we don't have the right to criticize. The Bible says, love one another. Jesus said that this is how people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. And unless we're in that place, we do not have the right to criticize anybody else if it's not done from a place of deep love and relationship. Let me also say that we need to be able to receive stuff into our lives in order for us to grow. I remember being asked in the school, uh, I was in Mr. Watson's class, for those who know Mr. Watson, and uh, he was asking about, for Mr. Watson, 
And he was asking about, are you content as a Christian? I'm saying, well, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain, therefore I am content, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, but if everybody was content, there would never be any progress. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I get what you're saying. And it's the same with us as Christians. If we're just content living at this level here, then we're never going to progress into the things which God has for us. And there's an area where we need to receive the things that people want to say into our lives, out of relationship, out of love, out of concern for us. There are things which we need to receive into our spirits in order for us to grow. The Bible says this, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Proverbs 9, verses 7 to 9. We need to have a place in our lives to be instructed and to be taught and to grow, and that's part of building church, but that's the positive side of it what I would say as I finish off is don't let criticism get into your spirit. You know, one of the other books that I was reading through, thinking about how churches are built and all this type of stuff, how people come together was Nehemiah. And even Nehemiah in his day had people that opposed him, opposed the work that God was wanting to do in and through him, the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. The people had been in exile for hundreds of years, but not quite hundreds of years. Sorry, I'm getting my things mixed up. Sorry for the theologians. You've got it. And these two men come along, Sanballat and Tobiah, and another man, uh, Geshem, the Arab. And it says that they mocked and ridiculed those who were building the wall. They mocked and ridiculed. The problem is if Nehemiah had allowed that to get into his spirit, he would not have achieved anything. There are different people involved in different things in the church. Let me say this, that whatever you're doing, you need to do it with all your heart. You need to fulfill your mission. And Craig Grishel, I was listening to a podcast uh, which he has, if you, Craig Grishel, you can listen to his podcasts uh, through iPlayer, they're really cool. But he said, your role as a leader is to fulfill your mission, not to explain yourself to people who don't have your perspective. That's not to say that leaders just go on in their own track and don't listen to other people. The Bible says that there's wisdom in many counselors, and we need to be able to hear that. But what I'm saying is, don't let the criticism get into your spirit because it will debilitate you. It will stop you from doing all that God wants you to do. There's some more notes, but you can discuss them in the small groups, in the connect groups during the week. Some questions there. I, I just want to encourage us to think about just the importance of building church, the importance of building each other up, the importance of speaking things into uh, each other's lives that are going to build up and encourage and it needs to come from that place of just genuineness in us and that place of love. You see, that the whole thrust of the gospel is that the word goes out to all people, to all nations. That's what the thrust of this is about. The mission hasn't changed. It didn't stop 
at Acts chapter 28. We are Acts 29, and we're still working out God's plans and purposes to reach this world with the good news about Jesus. And I invite you to be part of what that, uh, what God is, is wanting to do in the church here and to think about building church. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Musicians, please come back up to the, the platform. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the incredible revelation that Cornelius and his family and friends had, that you filled them with the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, and Father, that they were able to manifest uh, these incredible gifts. Father, we thank you that you had a plan and purpose, even at the very birth of the church, to take it beyond the walls of Judaism, Father, to take it beyond the practices of Judaism and to take it into all the world. And Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts, that we might think about what our part is that we play in the church. Father, each of us living stones called according to your purposes. Father, we are your creation, your masterpiece. Father, to walk into uh, good deeds which you have planned before the very creation of the world. Father, things which you planned for us to walk in. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to be deterred by discouragement, not to be deterred by criticism, Father, not to be deterred by the negativity. The world is full of it, Father. But Lord, to listen to the voice of the Spirit, Father, to be built up, to grow, to be encouraged, to be challenged. Father, sometimes to be rebuked and to be taught because, Father, that's the purpose of your Word is to train us in all these different areas. And so, Father, we, we know that there are times when we need to receive things which are difficult you know, bitter pills to swallow. We need to receive them at times as well in order for us to truly grow and be built up in our faith. Lord, give us the wisdom to receive the good things, even though they might be bad for us at the time, or they might feel that way at least. But Father, to receive the, the things which are going to cause us to grow in you. And Father, we pray that you'd help us not to settle for anything less than your very best for each of us. And Father, we pray over these empty seats, Father, that you would fill them with people who are coming to know you. Father, people in our families, our friends, people in our workplaces, Father, people in our school, in our college, in our university, Father, that you would fill up these seats, and Father, that this building would be too small to contain all the things that you want to do. Father, that you would demonstrate your power through the miraculous. Father, that you would demonstrate your power through gifts of healings and through faith, Father, through a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Father, that you begin to do unusual things in our midst. Father, that people would point away from other people and point to you. And Father, we know that it's sometimes difficult when we don't understand what's going on, but Father, help us to trust in you and to have faith in you and to believe in you for the miracle that we need. And Father, even today, there are people in this room who need a touch from you in their body. And Father, we pray that you come right now and that you would touch those who need healing in their bodies. In fact, if you need healing in your body, I'm just going to invite you to stand right now as an act of faith, as an act of acceptance that God is who he says he is, and just as an act of, I, I just want something uh, from God today. I just And let's just keep heads bowed, eyes closed, and just give people the opportunity to respond to this, people who need a touch in their body today.
many people who need a touch in their body today. And Father, we thank you for the faith of every person who has stood here today. We thank you for the faith of every single person who has stood here today, who has the courage to say yes to you, who has the courage to come and seek you for something new in their body. And Father, we just pray that you would come now and that you begin to touch people in their bodies. Father, that your hand would come upon people and that you would cause faith to rise, that you would cause healing to flow. And Father, that we would see the miracles come to pass that we are expecting, that we're believing for, that we're praying for. And Father, these things which we come to you time and time again to receive. Lord, may there be a breakthrough in ill health situations. Father, may there be a breakthrough in people being set free from things, illnesses which bind them. Father, things which slow them down and cause them to, to be frustrated at times. Lord, we pray that you would just come and that you would speak into that, that you would move and that you would demonstrate your power. Father, manifest your presence. May there be that manifestation of the Spirit and healings. And so, Father, we pray that as people reach out to you in faith this morning, that you would come and that you would meet with people. Maybe we could all stand as we prepare to draw our time to a close. Father, we just pray for this congregation today. Lord, we pray that you would begin to do a new thing. Father, that you would begin to release things into this congregation, that you'd release gifts. Father, that you'd release understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Father, whether it's to do things inside the building, around the building, in the community. Father, whether it's the food bank or whether it's Answer or the charity shop, Father, no matter what it is, we pray that you'd release things in this place today that can be used for the building up of the church. Father, that you'd release the gifts of the Spirit into our hearts in new ways. Father, may we step up into areas of gifting that build up the church. And Father, we pray that you begin to speak specifically into every heart and every situation. Father, may our ears be open to hear what the Spirit would say in every situation. Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says. And Father, give us a willingness within our hearts to obey your voice and to walk into all that you have for us as a people here, as a congregation. And Lord, we pray that you would do something that this building can't contain. Father, that you would do something that the other buildings in this town can't contain. And Father, that's a big prayer because we know that Brucefield can hold a lot of people. But Father, we pray that you would do something that would cause people to stop and question and ask about this God who is so powerful. Lord, we pray, do a new thing. Father, your word says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And Father, we pray that your spirit would come just like a river, Father, that your spirit would come and bring refreshing to dry ground. Father, ground that's all cracked up because of the lack of rain. It's been dried up because of the heat and the sun, just dried up. And Father, we pray that you would come with your spirit and that you would bring life into this community. Father, into this fellowship. Father, out the doors. And Father, just out into our community, through the streets of our community, that you would come with your Spirit and do new things. Father, may the life of God, the Spirit of God flow. And Father, we're asking these things in faith and in expectation today. Father, it's not for us. 
not to us, but to you be all the glory. Father, we just want to see your name honored and glorified in our town. Father, we want to see the name of Jesus lifted up. Father, that his name would no longer be used as a swear word, but Father, would be used as a, an, act, a, an act of worship. Father, by people who are in love with you, transformed through the renewing of their minds, their situations, their circumstances, their bodies, whatever it is. And Father, we pray that you come and do a new thing. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.